When I had first heard that I was about to be appointed as your pastor, I went to prayer about what it is we would do from a pulpit ministry perspective, only then a little bit later to attend an orientation seminar where they shared a number of ideas, one of which I thought was a really good one, and that was to, instead of showing up with the next sermon series ready to go, it may be to do a bit of a listening exercise and see from the congregation's perspective what some heart cries were. And so at one of the lay leadership team meetings, I asked that question that was put to us at the orientation meeting, and I got some really good counsel from your lay leaders. Whoops, from our lay leaders. (laughs) And uh, at the top of the list is the Holy Spirit. Amen? So um, I, I thought, wow. As an incoming pastor, talk about making my heart at ease. And uh, so the passage that I have felt led to offer this morning is the prelude to a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And then the next thing that they put on the table was, how then are we church? And so as the scriptures do, they naturally flow from a teaching on the Holy Spirit to what it means to be church. So in August, uh, we'll be looking at what it means to be church. And I thank the lay leadership already for helping to have a significant impact on pulpit ministry for the congregation. So hear this from God's word. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. May God add his blessing on the reading of his word this morning. On one hand, it's a good thing to pick a passage like this as a first message in a congregation because, well, it's a very common passage. On on the other hand, it's a challenging thing to pick a passage like this for the first sermon in a congregation. Well, because it's a very familiar passage. But if I could, for just a few moments, share with you a little bit of what feels to me like the Lord was laying on my heart about this significant text for us as believers. I'm a firm believer that, and you can go ahead and leave it on the first slide because I'm going to be there for a little bit. I'm a firm believer that if there's something in the Bible, it's there because it needs to be there, right? Okay. So whenever the passage starts with, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus designated, that there's something that's supposed to give us just enough pause to ask the question, what's, what's that there for? And so I'd like to suggest that this is what that's there for. In, in the nation of Israel, anybody ever been to Israel? Okay, we've got a couple hands that are in the air. By God's grace and good pleasure, if I linger long here in this congregation, that will change. Already in my inbox is an invitation to go to Israel in January with uh, a ministry colleague who is doing some studies 
in contemporary comparative dynamics. Our media, with all due respect to our cherished media, gets it wrong about every time they dare to speak on it. There's far more complexity going on in the Near East, in the Middle East, than we know, right? And so this gentleman, from the perspective of a faith community, wishes to take any church person, especially church leaders, over and do eight intensive days of dialogue with the many different groups from the area, from the region, and do a listening exercise. So anybody who would like to go to Israel, Anybody, anybody who would like to go to Israel, let's spend some time prayerfully considering that together. If you've ever been to Israel, something strikes you right away. A bunch of things strike you right away, but one thing about this passage strikes you right away. This country is 3,000 miles long, right? So from coast to coast, you have coastal land and then hills that we get to enjoy and then great plains and then great plains and then great plain, great plain. Drive across them once, you'll know what I mean. And then mountains, and then shoreline again. Beautiful country. It's appropriately sung about this morning. In Israel, a nation about the size of New Jersey. Or should I say New Jersey? <laughs> that 3,000 miles whoosh, goes like this. So in Israel, you have about two landscapes. Valleys and mountaintops. And because you have basically two landscapes in Israel, that defines the way that culture understood, well, their cosmology, the way they viewed the world, and in many respects, the way they viewed the divine. So whenever you hear the scriptures talk about valleys, typically in the mind of the ancient Hebrew, the, the valley times are times of decision, uh, they're times of discernment, making a decision, times of learning, times of, uh, of pause, times of concern. We all know Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of... Okay, so we're tracking on this. So anytime the Bible mentions valley, we know it's, we know it's time to kind of reflect or learn or pause. Or... But then, then there's the mountaintops. And, and whenever the Scriptures talk about mountains or mountaintops, it's an altogether different journey. It's an altogether different awareness. It's an altogether different understanding. You did so well with that first stab. Let's try this one. How beautiful on the mountaintops are the feet of them who bring good news. It's not how beautiful on the mountaintops are those who sit and have lunch. It's not how beautiful are the feet of those who kind of sit back and do some fishing for the afternoon. As important as both of those things are, when the scriptures mention mountaintops, it's time to go. Our time in discernment is done. Our time of training is done. Our time of reflection is done. Our time of preparation is done. When in this passage, Jesus says, says that Jesus took them to the mountaintop, which he had designated. Not a surprise. Not a plan B. Not a, gee, look what I just came up with. He had designated this mountaintop because he, they were about to get their marching orders. Because it's time to go. Because there's a world that needs to be turned upside down for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so here, 
is your marching orders. Can we look at them together? First of all, Jesus makes something very clear. That's the primacy of Christ. Now we're ready to roll. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. If you have any question about any aspect of your faith, this one gets to answer it. You see, this is the passage that gives us our conviction. This is how it is we get our conviction. Did you notice before, and here's how Jesus fixes this. When they saw him, in verse 17, they worshipped him. But then did you next that, did notice that next phrase? But some were doubtful. Oh. So it's no wonder Jesus started the way he did. All authority has been given to me. And so it gives me an excuse to pause as a pastor and say this. I know that we're not supposed to doubt. I mean, the scriptures talk about not being double-minded or those kinds of things. And they talk about that because of the importance of not being that. But guess what? Sometimes it happens anyway, doesn't it? You look like an honest bunch. You look like you're allowed to be able to say yes to that and not have anybody throw stones at you. Well, let me say it like this. Does anybody in this room besides me doubt once in a while? Okay, okay. All right. now we're all right. Um, as much as we know that it's what our Heavenly Father doesn't want of us, our Heavenly Father knows that we are us. And I can't help but think that right here, he put that there to comfort us. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Some of who were doubtful? Did you catch what the audience is? Who? Okay, these are the people that for anywhere from one to three years, depending on what scholar you read, Jesus' ministry was either one or three years. So for at least one year, likely three years, these people walked with the creator of the universe. In the last couple weeks of their life, they watched this creator of the universe do what? Oh, it's just sort of an aside. The guy rose from the dead. And still, some of them were doubtful. Can you give yourself a hard time for being doubtful once in a while? Please don't. Please don't. These guys got one up on you. has a little bit of a help for those of us who do doubt from time to time, from time to time. Even though they were doubtful, did you catch what they did anyway? They worshipped him. Don't, don't give me this. You have to be right to enter worship. Don't give me that. When you're not right is the very time to come to worship. And I didn't make that up. I just read it. See? It's right there. Didn't, didn't add any comments. Even though they doubted, they worshipped him anyway. And so being the gracious Savior that he is, instead of wounding them for their, doubt, for, their, for their doubt, like you and I tend to do each other, I doubt. 
Jesus Christ meets every one of them who doubt at their point of need. All authority. Those of you who doubt, all authority. I love it. This guy's good. Not some. Most. Authority? Most? A whole bunch? Of a... Nah. And not only that, but here's one that does get us. All authority, just in heaven? <laughs> in heaven and on earth. We give the adversary far more credit than he deserves, my dear brothers and sisters. I'm convinced that he is alive and well in trying to convince us that he is the one with the authority, but I just read again who, someone else who has the authority. Please, stop taking the authority that Jesus Christ himself has said is his and sliding it over here and giving credit to the adversary for having it. He does not. My Savior does. Your Savior does. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Now these people who are waiting on the mountaintops for their marching orders to go, no, I'm the one, says Jesus, who has the authority to give you the command that I'm about to give you. That's where the conviction comes from. We don't have conviction within us because of our, per our certain personality type. You don't, you don't just come up with conviction because you're the kind of person who has that bent. Conviction because you honor the words of Christ who said, all authority is mine, go! That's why you have conviction. And that's where we put our hope and our, and our faith. So, not only do these marching orders include the primacy of Christ, which gives us our conviction, it includes the proclamation of Christ in verse 19. Verse 19, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what gives us our commission. This is what gives us our commission. You don't need a pastor. In fact, that's one of the things that I've noticed already about this place. Um, don't Wait till I'm done with this because you'll think I'm saying something different than I am if you stop listening. You people don't need me. I'm, uh, I've, I've been part of different things in the transition process and, and now part of Sunday school and dynamic time of Sunday school interaction and, and different preps and stuff. And now already this powerful time of worship, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? These, these people got her down. <laughs> and by the way, the, the part about that that's good is I'm so grateful for that. One of, the, one of the angsts that I had to let go of is, oh no, Another church I've got to go fix or something like that. Well, no, I, I'm excited about just stepping in and walking alongside you, and uh, that gives me a lot of excitement and joy. You don't need a pastor to say to you, um, I, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. How, how many people hold the Bible? Can, I mean, okay, you, you don't need me. Right here it says, go. Go. Baptize people in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. In fact, in that one verse lies all the secrets to why there is church conflict. I don't know if you're aware of that. Has anybody ever shared that with you before? Oh, you're all in luck. You showed up in church just this Sunday where you get to learn all the secrets 
about why there's conflict in church for free. I'm not even going to charge you extra. Each of us have so much energy, right? You tracking with me so far? Each of us has so much energy to expend. Okay? And here's the secret to why there's church conflict. The degree to which we expend that energy obeying our Heavenly Father with this commission to go and preach the gospel and baptize all nations in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is the degree to which our energy is being expended in such a way as to advance the kingdom. The degree to which we don't take our commission and run with it is the degree to which we take that energy that's got to be expended, right? And do something else with it instead. That is the secret to all of the church conflicts with which we struggle. Any time I, and you can fill in you if you agree with this, if you don't agree with this, then take a nap or something until I'm done. Anytime I involve myself in something negative, in something conflicting, one of these dear friends that you say came to support me showed up today First thing, that, first thing, I won't say that it was he or she, but the first thing she said <laughs> was, where's your tie? <laughs> so I would, I would, if I could, I, I, I won't say which one of the she's that was, but if I could, I would use Carol as an example. <laughs> as, thanks, Carol, I owe you lunch. As an example of, maybe I'm expending some energy over here on this side, right? Instead of over here on, on this side. My dear friends, thanks for letting me have some fun with that. But the point is true. We really do have a choice, don't we? We can take the words of Christ as the words of Christ and run with them. Using all of the God-blessed God-measured, God-poured-out energy that he gives us. And we often wonder at the end of the day where he got it. Advancing his kingdom. In whatever way that looks in each of our lives. Or, we can spend that energy, you know, critiquing whether or not someone's got a tie on. Or whether or not we shampooed the carpet enough. Or whether or not there's pews versus chairs or monitors versus hymnals. Or, you, know, you know how the list goes on and on and on. I pray that I just said yes to being a pastor of a church that does this instead of this. Did I? Did I really? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. The primacy of Christ, the proclamation of Christ, and finally this morning, the presence of Christ. Lo, in verse 20, Lo, I am with you always. This gives us our comfort. The United Methodists are notorious for shuffling their pastors around like a deck of cards. And, uh, okay, we do have time for one more story. 
So uh, don't let me lose my place. I'm on presence of Christ. Okay. Thanks. Good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever I found out officially that I was going to be appointed as your pastor, before I said yes to your district superintendent, boy, I've got all kinds of stories to tell you about the last three months of my life. I'll be glad to share more of them whenever we gather for reception afterwards. Um, I, I did what all of us do. Of course, I went to a discernment process about whether or not I was going to say yes. And that discernment process included, among other things, calling my mother. My father is no longer with us. Um, he, we laid him to rest last summer. There's uh, nothing more than a mixed joy of being the person who was asked to officiate your, your, your father's funeral. Um, there's a real kingdom doozy there. But as a man of faith, it was as much of a time of joy as it was grief. And so I called my mother, and I said, uh, hey, got something for you to be in prayer about for me. And, and I said, there's this church that I understand I'm about to be appointed to if I say yes. And, and, I, and I listed for her, your, your district superintendent mentioned to me the, the congregational profile. He, he read down over this profile, and at, and at that point, I never met this guy. And this guy never met me. So aside from phone voice, we couldn't recognize each other if we met. And so he read over this profile, and if had I met him, I would have said, oh, he made this up to sound like Rick Conrad. But he read over this profile, and I'm thinking, I've never been to this church before. How could it be such a perfect fit? And then he read over the salary and benefits package, to which I say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he shared a bunch of other things, and I'm thinking, my heavens, this this sounds really good. And so I'm talking with my mother about this. And when I called her, I said, they tell me the profile looks like this and, and the benefits and salary looks like this and the, and the congregation, blah, blah, blah. And, and got to the end of that. My, my mother, her family of origin is United Methodist from Western Pennsylvania. So she, from that perspective, she offered this. I got to the end of this. She said, boy, you know, Rick, she says that. That's all exciting. I'm just really happy for whatever it is the Lord has for you if you say yes or no. Whatever. She says, just one thing. You know how mothers are. Just one thing. How I feel. What is it about that I could have said that would have been a problem for her? And uh, as I was wondering what it is that one thing is, and she says, you say it's United Methodist. <laughs> And she has, she has a history of, uh, in, the United, in Western Pennsylvania, the United Methodist in her particular congregation did a very negative thing. And she's been carrying that with her ever since. And, uh, and so by the end of this conversation, I had shared with her, I think the congregation, as I'm getting to know them, is concerned more about following Jesus than it is about denominational labels. Amen. Am I right? And my mother said, you say yes. So I did. Still in fear and trepidation. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of other things that went into saying yes, and I'll be glad to share those with you. Methodists are notorious for shuffling pastors around with a deck of cards. And this is why verses like this, I'm convinced, are in the Bible. We come and go, don't we? Jesus is with us until the end of the age. And Jesus is with us to the end of the age in a way that is even more powerful than the way he walked with his 11. 
in that way is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's the segue that takes us from this sermon to the next at least three or four weeks where we talk about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Until then, doesn't knowing that Christ is always with us give us all the courage, confidence, and the comfort that each of us needs to turn this world upside down for Jesus? It's my hope and my prayer that it does. Because my intention, while I'm serving you in these next months or years or decades or whatever, <laughs> I got one vote. <laughs> my hope in that time period is that we all work together to do just that, turn our world upside down for Jesus. Father God, such a blessing, such a joy to be able to open your word here and to know that it will be received with hearts of joy and thanksgiving. I pray that as we continue to grow together, learn one another, minister together, that your Holy Spirit would preside over each of our times together for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.